The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, buckle up. Apple is driving into the car market, but one of our traders says not so fast. Why it may be time to pump the brakes on Apple's auto ambitions. Plus, we're tracking the after-hours action. Ford, Snap, and Peloton, all three stocks on the move on earnings. We'll break down all the numbers. And later, no joke, we will tell you what sent the cryptocurrency Dogecoin to the moon today. But we start off with a new battlefront in the Reddit rebellion. GameStop shares tumbling 42% in today's trade. The stock is now down more than 80% since Monday. But as that trade unwinds, check out the big moves that we're watching in biotech. Anavex Life Sciences, Cortexime, Cassava Sciences. Now, these are three names we normally would not mention on Fast Money, let alone lead the show with on Fast Money. But they're all moving wildly over the past two trading sessions. Anavex Life Sciences, ticker AVXL, posting its highest volume day ever. Cortexime. Cortexime now up 30% over the past two days. And Cassava Science is hitting a 52-week high today before reversing on huge volume. And when I say huge, I mean 600% of its 30-day average. So as the GameStop game unwinds, have the Reddit traders found a new target? Guy Adami, this is certainly an interesting space to target. It is very complicated. It is very technical. And in many instances, not very liquid. And it's very binary, and there are mm-hmm. a number of these names that have huge short interest, just to add. So it's all, it's all of those are sort of the, um, all the things that I think people on this platform, the Reddit platform, would be looking for. Now, you mentioned cassava. So quickly, you, you talked about the volume that's traded. I think over the last three days, today obviously included, it's traded about 180 million or so shares. I mean, it's just ridiculous amount of volume over a three-day period, given its historical norm. And you've seen the stock go from about $8 a share. I think it traded to 117 today and reversed and reversed in a meaningful way. But this isn't just the Reddit crowd. I mean, they actually had data come out a couple days ago in terms of the Alzheimer's study mm-hmm. that was pretty positive. I think that fueled this as well. The concern I would have here, and I'm not endorsing, I'm, I'm not making a pro or con statement of any of these names that we're going to talk about, but they did a secondary back in November, if I'm not mistaken, November 13th, about 8 million shares se- or 9 million shares secondary, around $8 a share. Be aware that for a lot of these companies, given the stock price move, this is an opportunity for these companies to do secondaries. I would imagine you'll see one here. And another name that you didn't mention, but is a big enough market cap to talk about, not necessarily a biotech company, but falls under those parameters, is a name like Verisite, which has had another ridiculous move. You can pull that one up as well. I think it's VCYT, if I'm not mistaken. And there's talk that maybe a secondary might be coming there. So just be aware that a lot of these stocks have had tremendous runs, but, you know, secondaries are looming out there potentially. You can obviously see what could happen to the stocks in the midst of one. 
very binary, a lot of these names. Just be aware of what you're getting yourself into. Again, quickly, the way to play this all along, the slow and steady way, has been the IBB. Yeah. Brian Kelly, what do you make of this? And, and when we say it looks like it's the next target, these names are frequently mentioned on Reddit threads in recent days. Of course, we've, we've shown you and explained to you the volume and the price action we have seen. There could be a number of forces in the market. It doesn't necessarily have to be this particular group of traders. But this corner of the market is really attracting some unusual activity. It is, right. And, and I would also argue that, you know, maybe this Reddit army isn't just all retail traders. Uh, mm-hmm. There may be actually professional traders in there, and you get this momentum type of thing going on. And, you know, we mentioned I've always kind of shied away from the biotech sector because you tend to need to be an expert in it, as Guy had mentioned. But in this kind of world of YOLO, you only live once, those things don't matter. So I think what you have going on here is a game between the retail and the professional trader trying to create momentum. So for me, you know, if you're going, if you want to have exposure, if you're sitting at home and say, all right, I'm not going to get on Reddit. I don't even know how to get on Reddit. What do I want to have exposure? And I want to have some biotech exposure. You do it via, via an ETF, XBI or IBB. That's the way I've always played it. Instead of getting into these single names that can go up a lot, but then, as we mentioned, can reverse on huge volume and you've lost everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know anything about cassava or Anavex science. I mean, I had to look it up a little bit, and, and they're in Alzheimer's drugs, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's drugs. I mean, this is an area of the market, Tim, where, you know, treatments are desperately needed, you know, desperately wanted. Um, and here we are with this interesting trading going on. Well, Mel, hashtag bio war uh, is, is what this, this is. And uh, I, I think we framed this, but just look, if you're talking about the Reddit crowd in the middle of biotech, this is, this is pouring gasoline on an inferno. You have, uh, think about the dynamics with biotech. No, no profitability, pre-revenue companies. Again, fundamentals on some level do not matter. Story stocks and momentum. That's in, in their best of days or in their, their least of days, whatever you want to call this. Um, this is how this sector has been portrayed or certainly how even people play this sector uh, even before Reddick came through. So I think you have a case here where, yes, uh, Alzheimer's is a particularly uh, uh, momentum-filled part of, of the biotech space and then COVID-19. I mean, we've, we've talked about Novavax and that's another one of these stocks in there that at times has been a major, major momentum player. And so uh, the question really is back to, is there any edge to someone or is this about first information? And, and, and again, is, is there manipulation there? Um, certainly with a lot of these stocks, as we've talked about, there's less liquidity and, and there's an ability to push them around. Uh, and I think that's really the story. Yeah, and unlike GameStop, the short interest, while high, is not nearly as high as it was in GameStop at the peak of short interest in that name. Cassava has a 17% uh, short interest, according to facts that Anavex Sciences has a 9%, you round up, short interest there. Um, Karen, I thought it was an interesting point in terms of being careful of companies, you know, taking a look at this rise in the stock price and thinking, Oh my gosh! This is the moment. <laughs> this is time to to do it. Do an offering. I mean, you got to look through the filings, and you got to know if these companies are actually poised to do that. Right. I mean, if they're not, they should be, uh, or they've got to try to do it as fast as they can. I mean, this is just insanity to me. I, I I think it's this is on a smaller scale, of course, than GameStop so far. 
I mean, just the, 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 the range that this stock has traded in the last three days is kind of absurd. This, I mean, I've always been afraid of biotech without any of this because I always say, you know what, I can't stand the risk of waking up to some failed phase three trial and having a stock go down 40% or 80%. So I couldn't wake up with the risk of having it no longer be a, you know, a Reddit favorite and a phase whatever failed trial. It's just, I mean, this, as Tim said, it's gasoline on an inferno. I, you know, I'm cautious already in this space, only through ETFs, but now I just, I think it's a no-touch for a while. Yeah. Well, our next guest has three other stocks that he says could be on the Reddit hit list. Let's welcome Jared Holtz, Managing Director and Healthcare Sector Specialist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you with us. I imagine you're getting a lot of questions these days, um, especially on the heels of, of this unusual trading activity. In your mind, um, do you do you have any doubts that this is the sort of the Reddit crowd going after some of these stocks? Melissa, thanks a lot for having me. I think part of the issue here is that some of it could be self-fulfilling mm. with investors looking around and trying to identify stocks that have high short interest to begin with that are now susceptible just based on what we saw over the last couple of weeks with GameStop being you know such a high focus single security and driving tons of action across pretty much every single industry group. And with biotech already fairly volatile, it's sort of like an easy area for you know any Reddit crowd or retail investor crowd to pick on. Yeah, we're showing the three names that you say have high short interest, haven't really seen the moves yet. And I'm wondering if you can sort of walk through, give us a thumbnail sketch of Carryofar, Madrigal, and Rocket, and why you think these three are, are ripe to be targeted and what you think the actual fundamentals are in these stocks? Well, it's a little bit less of a target. It's more mm -hmm. identifying single stocks that have higher short interests mm -hmm. that have not already moved. I think that's most of the basis of on the commentary of those three stocks. They're all very, very um, esoteric or, or niche in terms of what they do. Um, there's really no overlap between the three. But looking at companies with you know anywhere between 15 and 30 percent short interest, um, in these cases slightly higher, we could see more of a self-fulfilling situation in terms of stocks that have not gone up a lot, um, you know, start to get a little bit of a bid. Not to say that, you know, Reddit or other sort of forums are going to drive it, um, but looking across the spectrum of the sector and identifying stocks that have not yet um, made their moves um, so far year to date. And these are three that are, you know, Rocket is up a bit on the year, roughly 10, 15%. KPTI is down year to date. Um, and Madrigal is basically flat. So those are three that, you know, we looked at earlier today and we, and we sort of thought, okay, is there a chance these get a bid based on high short interest? I think the answer could be yes. Um, but like, you know, so, so many of the panelists and you discussed before, the lack of fundamentals um, is something that we have to be aware of as well. Guy's got a question. Oh, I'm sorry. If memory serves, KPTI, I think they gave guidance on January 11th, and I think they report this time next week, I think next Thursday. I, I know these names are not earnings plays, and I know in the time, uh, K KPTI just came out with some decent data in terms of a lymphoma study, but do you wait for earnings or do you get in front of this next week, understanding that's a bit of a loaded question? It's tough to say. I mean, the stock is already down so much. Um, this is actually a product story. There is revenue here. 
Um, this is an oncology company that's launching a drug into um, a pretty big market. They're looking at earlier lines of therapy for um, various lymphoma treatments. There's a sarcoma pipeline here. So there is something here to back up the valuation. Unlike so many of these high flyers that are pretty much dream stocks or concept stocks, KPTI actually does have real revenue um, and will have earnings at some point and does have a pipeline. So I don't think it's that risky of a bet. I think you know the buy side doesn't typically love these new launch stories because they tend to be, um, you know, they're they're fairly volatile in terms of their reaction. And also, you know, given the fact that the company launched the drug during COVID, it hasn't been great for, for them or for many other companies in the sector that introduce new drugs during a pandemic. So it's tough to know, do you buy it now? Do you buy it subsequent to the quarter? I'm not really sure the quarter is that big of a binary event for them, um, but I do think it's interesting anyway. Hey, Jared, it's BK. I'm curious, you know, you're talking to institutional investors all the time. Um, how has this changed their view of, the, of their sector? And do you think this Reddit army is just all tra uh, day traders and retail? Or do you think that there's actually some institutions in there that are trying to create these momentum squeezes? Uh, it's so difficult to say whether there's institutional involvement. Um, I mean, most likely there, there's some driving it. I think the, the main effect or significance that the Reddit situation has had is it has created yet another fear factor when it comes to trading these stocks that are, that are already super volatile, that are very binary to begin with. And so you have massive moves across the board sometimes on, on very little news. And you add this extra element where you have another faction of the market sort of dictating the outcomes of how these stocks are going to trade. So in my mind, the whole situation has just added more of an unnerving element to what we do every day, which is sort of navigate these waters that are treacherous to begin with. That, I think, is the, the main significance. And I think it's created a situation where investors, again, they're, they're much more cognizant of some of the short interest levels in these stocks, even if the fundamentals have not changed at all or in some cases have gotten worse. Yeah. Jared, great to speak with you. Thank you for your insights. Thank Jared, you. Jared Holtz of Jefferies. Now, we spotted some interesting activity in the options market today in one of these names. Let's bring in Bono and Ice. And Bono, and what you see? So, yeah, speaking of a name that you've already mentioned, AVXL, Anavex Life Sciences, <clears throat> taking a look at the options, calls and puts are pretty evenly distributed. But if you drill down and look at the volumes, 45,000 option contracts traded today. Typically, that number is closer to 2,500. So we're almost 20 times typical volume. So this speaks most certainly to the speculative mania around these biotech names and names that have exposure to Alzheimer's. If you take a look at the options further, these options are implying a 45% move, 45% move in either direction between now and February expiry. And the trade that really jumped off the tape to me was about 10,000 of the Feb 20 calls, most of which were purchased for about 480. That puts your break even at 2480 or about 165% of current spot. Again, this stock has about doubled over the last week. And these options that traded about 480 closed closer to $2, all of which speaks to the intense volatility intraday and otherwise in these names. Bono, when you were uh, watching the options activity and some of those um, earlier Reddit names, and I'm wondering in terms of um, the volumes here that we're seeing, um, how short dated these calls are, if you think that that the patterns are similar, if it lines up. 
Uh, similar to extent in terms of it being very, like you said, short dated options. Mm-hmm. So these are trading positions as opposed to investing positions. But I will make a, a quick just juxtaposition. We mentioned SLV, right? And that market is so large, it's much harder to squeeze. At least there has been some type of tactical maneuvering to at least getting engaged in names that are less liquid so that one can push markets around as the panelists just mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's a very good point. Bonwin, thank you. Bonwin Eisen with the options action and some of this. Uh, Guy, um, we were making that point before, you know, even if the names don't have high short interest, if they've got a small float and they're not very liquid, it is easier to push them around. No question about it. And, and we're obviously not endorsing that by any stretch. And we bring this up. I mean, a name like KPTI, for example, which is not a small company. I mean, last I looked, this is a billion-dollar market cap company, trades a couple million shares a day. Uh, we mentioned this stock. It was just mentioned on the show. It closed at $14.60. It just traded over $17.50. I don't know how much volume it traded on. That's up 20% from the close. But I think it just points out some of the, Karen used the word, and it's right, some of the insanity that's going on out there. You know, we caution people to be careful. We bring these up just to illustrate what could happen, but I don't think this is a tacit endorsement uh, of any of these things. But I think it's important for the education purposes just to see uh, just to see how delicate and, and how quickly things move in this environment. Yeah, we're seeing similar sort of reaction to Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, which is one that Jared had mentioned, which is up 11% in the after hours, which really underscores this notion that it's not that hard to get these stocks to move. Um, Tim, but I thought it was an interesting point that Jared was making that this is just another layer of uncertainty. You've got to wonder if investors are just like, you know what, for now, I don't need to be in biotech. I'm a tourist in the sector. I don't have an edge to begin with. So, you know, why risk it? Well, I, 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 think, I think there's a lot of professionals that will also avoid some of the, the binary nature of this and this mm-hmm. uncertainty. But I, I, I want to chime in where Guy has been, where we've all been saying, like, if, if sounding a, a caution flag here uh, makes me a bad guy, you know, have at it. Because we still haven't seen what the locusts have done with GameStop when it's done. In other words, they, they haven't even left that story yet. And a lot of traders, not all of them. A lot of them are very sophisticated, but a lot of these traders, and I know this anecdotally from hearing all the usual, from all the usual cliched, you know, people that ask me, and I, I won't be demeaning to any particular people that are not professionals, but what vocations they work at that, that stop me and ask me. I'll simply say that they're not professional traders, and they're not the ones that have stop losses. And when GameStop loss loses 40% on a day, they're the ones that are usually hoping tomorrow's a better day, and they stay around. If I can only get back to this, I'll stay in this trade. I'm telling you, there are no fundamentals here. And biotech is, is, is obviously got enormous opportunity and enormous binary nature of it and, and enormous risk to it. So this only adds to the risk. There's nothing good to me about somebody saying, hey, the short interest is really high and this one hasn't moved yet. Um, that's not how you pick stocks. Right. And it may be how you pick momentum. But I, I, you know, this to me is very troubling. The first three names, that, by the way, that we're showing to you on your screen, the ones that Jared had highlighted are, in fact, in the XBI as well as the IBB. So in terms of impact, you may already hold these stocks and may not know it. And that's important to know because GameStop, remember, was a small part of the XRT, became a much bigger part of the XRT, and for a moment in time became the biggest stock in the Russell 2000. So... You know, in terms of impact, it can be there in your portfolio without you actually knowing it at the moment. Um, Karen, last word here. Well, you know, you talk about being a tourist in the space, the biotech space. 
buying it here, I'd feel like I'd be a tourist, go out on the street, look left, not realizing I'm in London and get hit by a bus on the right. That's what this seems like to me right now. So uh, I'm out. I always do that when I'm in London, look the wrong way. I'm glad they have the arrows on the street. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we've got an earnings alert on Ford. The stock is higher on the results as company's conference call is underway. We'll break down the numbers, plus the headline that added $57 billion to Apple's market cap today. That's basically one Ford. We are kicking the tires on Apple's auto ambitions when Fast Money returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ford. The automaker, volatile in the after hours, but it is up by 1.4% after hours uh, with the call underway. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the latest. Phil. Uh, Melissa, we're listening to that call. Jim Farley, the CEO, has just begun to talk. You'll hear from him in just a little bit. Let me quickly run down the numbers for the fourth quarter. Better than expected, way better than expected. The street was expecting a loss of $0.07 cents a share, turned in a profit of $0.34 cents a share. Automotive revenue coming in just shy of expectations at $33.2 billion. Some cautionary comments regarding the impact of the semiconductor shortage that's hitting the global auto industry. Ford not exempt from this. They're going to be cutting some F-150 production next week. Company saying 10 to 20 percent of its Q1 production plan. That is going to be lost due to the semiconductor shortage. And potentially this year, the chip shortage could shave a billion to two and a half billion dollars off of its earnings. That's potentially what could happen this year. Now, the news that has Ford shares moving higher by more than 2%, it has to do with its big investment just announced regarding electric and autonomous vehicles. Look at this. Now, previously, Ford had said, we're going to put $11 billion into electric vehicles. Uh Uh-uh. They are now doubling that commitment. $22 billion in EV development through 2025. $7 billion separate from that will be going into autonomous vehicles. Here is CEO Jim Farley just a few minutes ago talking about his optimism regarding the future of Ford. We will start to grow again, but most importantly, in the right areas, allocating more capital, resources, and talent to take advantage of our strength in pickups, commercial vehicles, and utilities. Being a leader in the electric vehicle revolution around the world where we have strength, but also where we have scale. 
Ford CEO Jim Farley talking just a few minutes ago on the analyst call. Melissa, I have to tell you, I've listened to a number of these calls, and last quarter was Jim Farley's first, and he was given high marks for being very candid and saying, mm-hmm. we haven't done well enough, we will do better, etc. Oh, he has upped it this quarter. He is very declarative. He is saying things like, we are going to compete like a challenger. We have just begun. There is no excuse for what we've done. He called out the company on, on areas where they needed to be called out. He said, look, we lost $4.5 billion in the last decade in South America. Completely unacceptable. I will be interested to see what the reaction will be like from the analyst uh, and some of the questions they have with regard to Ford's EV and AV investments. But clearly a much different tone from sure. Ford than what we saw over the last two or three years. Oh, clear. It's a night and day, I would say, Phil. Yep. I'm sure investors agree with that. Um, in, in terms of why the stock is moving higher, would you say, let's distill this. It's because of all the optimism surrounding the EVs and its plans? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and I think, and as I said, when the, the numbers first came out and I said on the closing bell, Right now, if you are an investor in an automaker, you want to see your company investing in electric vehicles. The last thing you want to see is your company saying, eh, we're good, we're okay. You know that this is where the market is going, and if you're going to be competitive, you've got to make these investments. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. The stock is approaching after-hours session highs up 2.8%. Uh, Tim Seymour, we know you like GM, but Ford's looking not too bad. No, I like Ford, too. And, mm-hmm. and the focus on profitability is very important. Notice that the incentives we got we got auto numbers yesterday in terms of uh, North American deliveries. And, and not only were the numbers were fantastic, but incentives were down in January. And notice the EPS was stronger while the top line was a little bit weaker. All great stuff. Twenty two billion invested in EVs. The thing that's amazing is, is that the headline said they will have significant exposure to earnings in 21 this calendar year from the Mach-E, the F-150 EV, and the Bronco EV. And that's, that's incredible. They're going to start delivering these vehicles. The future is now for Ford. Uh, it's hot, it's, it's sexy, uh, and it's more profitable. So I, I think there's more to go here as well. All right. You've got a lot more coming your way here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. iPod, iPad, iCar. Apple may be breaking into the auto industry. Buckle up. The traders break it all down next. Plus, to the moon. We'll tell you which cryptocurrency soared with a little help from a billionaire. And the Lion King. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. You heard it here first. Apple looking to get into the car market. Sources telling CNBC the tech giant is nearing a deal with Hyundai to produce electric autonomous vehicles. They could go into production in 2024. Apple shares rallying two and a half percent on the news. So what do you guys think? Guy Dami, I'll go to you. It's a good thing for them. I think people have been wanting this, expecting it. Obviously, the market didn't whack them on the back of this news three, four years away. I don't think that's really the headline here. The headline is just another vertical for them to explore 
and to do well. And there are a lot of people out there, I'm not in that camp or not in that camp, that think this should be a $3 trillion company, which should mean the stock gets up to 170 or so if my math is right. And that's probably what the grind will continue to be on this tape. So, listen, I think it's something that people have wanted, something they've expected. We got the announcement. I think, by the way, as Phil said last night, they're not just beholden to one automaker. You'll probably see further announcements. I think in the aggregate, it's a bullish thing. Yeah. Karen, um, you were a little skeptical last night. You had a day to think about it. Now what? Yeah, I mean, I had a day to think about it, a day to sort of go back and remember they did have a car venture in the mid-teens, of tw- you know, 20, I don't know, early teens, um, that ended, I think, in 2015 or so, where at one point they were going to try to build another, you know, a Tesla competitor, and then they were maybe switching to a more of a technological platform. I'd much rather it be that. I mean, we always talk about what's the right multiple for Apple. We talk about a hardware multiple versus a software multiple, or services rather, and or software and services. Um, and I'd much rather the latter. The market appreciates that more. I'm just afraid of sort of a giant spend to be in the hardware and software business, as opposed to can you just do it in the hardware in the software business? We'll see. I don't know what the Hyundai arrangement could look like. Clearly, this is an innovative company that's that made products we never even knew we wanted. Here's one we know we want, right? cool EV. Um, but it makes me a little bit concerned. I'd ra- I, we have to, I have to see more about it to really get super excited about it. It does have the potential to be, um, I don't know, more capital intensive, more difficult, harder logistics. And, and maybe, I mean, imagine this. They get to be as great at building cars as GM, two and a half million cars, and they traded a GM multiple. Wouldn't that be terrible? Um, What the pushback, I would say, is that, you know, by going in with a partner or with several partners, for that matter, they are reducing their cost, their outlay of capital in terms of manufacturing. And haven't we seen it time and time again where they manufacture hardware um, and ultimately it's the services that they sell off of that hardware that makes the whole thing work? I mean, a lot of time, you know, we've seen them transition from that iPhone company or wearables, whatever, to having, you know, a growing services business, BK. This is the ultimate extension, though, of the ecosystem. It absolutely is. And think about this. What the big headline to me is autonomous vehicle. They're not starting with a steering wheel. They're going right to autonomous. Why does that matter? Because when I get in my car right now, I plug my phone in and I can't text and drive. But if it's an autonomous car, I have now turned my car into a mobile office. And I can use that for productivity, I can use it for fun, I can use it for whatever, but it changes the game. That's why this is different than it was before when they tried to build a car with a steering wheel. No steering wheel, autonomous vehicle, key to this, long-term, extremely bullish for Apple. Or a steering wheel that retracts. And you probably go into that car and you don't have to plug anything in, Tim. It knows that phone is in the car because it's an Apple phone and it's in an Apple car. It's it's all uh, exciting stuff, and that's why I, I, I don't see any issues with this. And, and let's be clear, is, is anybody rewarding Tesla for, their, for, for being a hardware company? Absolutely not. Come on. I mean, you, Tesla bulls are, are not all about the hardware. Yeah, it's good technology, and you get into the, into the, the dynamics of the, the, the battery. That's obviously been a significant element. But really, is that where the valuation is? If it is, then it's 
definitely overpriced. So this is all about Apple leveraging not only uh, an installed base, customer loyalty that, that few other companies could ever hope to have uh, and innovation, but again, an operating system that could very well be part of our life and, and certainly in our car. So um, I think this is, I don't think of hardware here for them. I mean, they, they, they will, they will uh, get involved where they have to, and maybe it's even just with some of the stylings of Apple, but when it comes to being an, an OEM in the auto space, that's not what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, Guy, you have your hand raised. Are you a Bruce Springsteen fan, I, Melissa? Lee? I can't really call myself one, but I appreciate his talents. No, but I'm sure a lot of our viewers are. <laughs> and, good. you know, some of Bruce's best work are his writings about automobiles. And I guarantee you that if and when this car comes out, the great Bruce Springsteen will not be writing songs about some Apple autonomous car. And isn't that a tragedy that the boss can't write songs about this? So just give me, as I mentioned, my 67 Chevelle, you can keep your Apple autonomous car with your plug-ins. That's fine for you. It doesn't work for me. All right. Coming up, we're all over a pair of after-hours movers. Peloton and Snap just out with earnings. We're breaking down the numbers. Next and later, how a billionaire in a Lion King meme said one cryptocurrency soaring today. We'll break down the monster move in Dogecoin when Fast Money returns. Breaking news out of Washington. Let's get to Elon Moy. Elon. Melissa, those 10 moderate Republican senators who met with President Biden at the White House on Monday have now sent him a new letter outlining the places where there is areas of agreement and where they still disagree. They said that there was agreement on meeting the immediate health needs of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that is why they're proposing that $160 billion uh, for vaccine funding and for testing, matching the amount in Biden's plan. They also urged Biden to include more money for rural hospitals hospitals, but they also said that they remain concerned and they have significant questions about the size and the scope of what is proposed in the plan, given the amounts that have already been appropriated by Congress. Specifically, they call out the amount of funding for schools, as well as the targeting of those $1,400 stimulus checks. But, Melissa, they said that they do look, for, uh, do look forward to further discussions with the administration. Back to you. Okay. Uh, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Um, Karen, we were talking about the broader markets earlier and how, you know, we saw record closes for the S&P, the Nasdaq, as well as the Russell in today's session. Is there a presumption that there is going to be stimulus? It does sound like there are significant areas of disagreement, although it is good, a good sign that they're willing to at least talk this time around. Yes, I think there will be stimulus. I don't know what it is, and I'm not even sure it matters so much what it is. I think any certainty on that front would be good. I actually think it does really make sense. I understand the $1,400 checks to so many people are really important. If they can target them to where it's needed and not just blanket to everybody regardless of need, that would be, I think, significant progress. Yes. All right. Coming I'm optimistic up. they'll come to a deal. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action in Peloton and Snap, both stocks on the move on earnings. The call's underway. We'll break down the numbers straight ahead. And later, the touchdown trade, what you can expect from the online betting stocks as we gear up for Super Bowl Sunday. The CEO of FanDuel joins us when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double dose of earnings for you. Peloton and Snap both on the move in the after hours. Julie Borson standing by and Snap, but we want to get to Diana Olick, who is fresh off Peloton's call. Diana. 
Well, Melissa Peloton is still showing incredibly strong sales, but also still getting hammered by supply chain issues, delays getting the bikes and the treads shipped and delivered. And that is likely what's hitting shares in the after hours, now down about 8%. Peloton beat handily on both earnings and revenue, and it also upped its full-year revenue guidance. Connected fitness subscribers increased 134% year-over-year. Digital subscriptions up 472%. To meet that demand, though, with all the COVID-related delays, it's now costing Peloton millions. We are investing over $100 million in expedited shipping to reduce the wait times for our products. This expense will include air shipments, expedited ocean freight, and incremental costs to get containers to other ports that are less congested. Now that's hitting gross margins, now forecast to be 35% in Q3 versus estimates of 41% and also lower than Q2's 39.9%. It's recent acquisition of Precor, though, giving it some domestic manufacturing that is expected to help some. Melissa? Diana, thank you. Diana Olick, uh, shares are down almost 8%. Karen, how should we think about it? If we believe that Peloton is pulling forward demand, then that means it's getting lower margin on those units that it is pulling forward. So you won't ever sort of get that back. (laughs) No, but we also have to try to figure out what is pulling forward demand because, right, COVID is the greatest thing that could happen to them versus what is the post-COVID demand? What's that going to be like? And how do you value that? I don't know. It's sort of in the stratosphere to me. But, um, I mean, it's an impressive quarter nonetheless. But still, the stock is just, you know, a victim of its own success. The valuation's too high. All right. We got some breaking news here. I want to go straight to Meg Terrell. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Johnson & Johnson has said it has filed uh, its application with the FDA for emergency use of its COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, It says it intends to distribute the vaccine in the U.S. immediately following authorization and expects to supply 100 million doses to the U.S. in the first half of 2021. Now, the next step, of course, is we wait to hear from the FDA when they schedule their advisory committee meeting. Typically, it takes about two weeks to get this on the books. Um, So we should see uh, when they do that. And after that, you know, we'll learn a lot about this vaccine, the way the FDA is looking at it. And if it's anything like what they did for Pfizer and Moderna, if the vote is positive, they authorize the next day. So this could move pretty quickly here. You're seeing J&J up there, more than 1% in the after hours. Mel, back to you. And they've already, just to get this correct, Meg, they've already manufactured many doses of this, right? I mean, in order to meet that target in the first half, they probably have started that process. Yes, definitely. However, depending on how quickly this gets approved, there could be limited amounts available right away. Uh, we'd heard from Monsef Slawi fewer than 10 million doses in February. You know, that was a few weeks ago. We don't know exactly where that is now. He said more in March, many more in April. Um, of course, this is a one-dose vaccine, so one dose goes for one person, which is twice as far as the two-dose vaccines. Absolutely. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, so some very good news. Johnson Johnson shares up 1.5%. One dose and also can be stored at regular refrigerator temperatures, so it gets around that sort of um, difficulty in, in getting the vaccine to where it needs to get at the temperature it needs to get. It's much simpler, Guy. Um, so there's a few different ways to look at it in terms of the, the Johnson Johnson-specific story, but also just the overall impact on, on the markets, on the economy, yeah. consumer confidence. All good. All good news. I mean, the man that comes on after this, J, uh, J, JC, has been talking about J&J for a while. You remember the stock traded up to 173 a couple of weeks ago, right around earnings time. When earnings were solid, pulled back, I think it traded down to 160 or so. I think it goes right back up. I mean, valuations are reasonable. 
it's not just a vaccine play. That's the good news. Tim and Karen have spoke about this time and time again. I think Johnson & Johnson is still reasonable valuation at this price. And I think this is one more tailwind for it going forward. Yeah, ticking higher right now up by 1.9% now. Uh, Tim, you look to those reopening trades tomorrow and think, you know what, they might be looking pretty good. Yeah, those reopening trades have had a pretty good run over the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks, too. And, and, and But I, I do think that there's still pent-up demand that is going to uh, really, like, if, if you're going for the reopening trades, you're, at this point, I think you're really looking out to the, the extreme curve of hotels, casinos, uh, you know, to some extent airlines. Um, and I think that this is at least very good news. The pent-up demand dynamic is great, but it's not going to be great for all of these subsectors. And I think we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, even in a healthy economy, in a confident economy, demand doesn't come straight back. You have to look at earnings as a function and as a percentage of where they were in 2019. And, and in a lot of those cases, they're not going to be there in two years. All right. We should note that J&J CEO will be at CNBC's Healthy Returns Conference next week, February 9th. So you want to tune in for that. Let's get back to earnings now. Snap is dropping in the after-hour session. Let's get to Julia Borson with more. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Snapshare is down about 7.5%, despite the company reporting better-than-expected fourth-quarter results across revenue, earnings, user growth, and better-than-expected first-quarter revenue guidance. Now, what's weighing on the stock is a forecast on profitability in the first quarter that did fall short of estimates, and the company pointed to two factors, warning that Apple's coming iOS platform policy changes will present a risk to, to interruption to demand with no visibility into just how big that risk is, possibly for months. Also saying the company experienced interruption to add demand in the first two weeks of January as brands paused campaigns after the events at the Capitol. There is another factor impacting costs. Snapchat's Spotlight program, for which it pays content creators about a million dollars a day. But that is yielding results. After launching in November, Spotlight grew to over 100 million active users in the month of January. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Brian Kelly, what do you think of Snap? You know what? It's not for me. It, there's just so much competition around this right now in terms of messaging that they really have to differentiate themselves. Now, if they get any type of issue like they're starting to experience, then the stock really starts to sell off. So, you know, just purely based on risk reward, I think you've already had all your reward and now you're entering this period of risk. The commentary surrounding um, ad campaigns pausing around the Capitol riots is interesting, Karen. I don't remember hearing that. Um, on some of the other calls, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you did on on a Facebook or an Alphabet. No, I didn't, and I was just thinking the exact same thing. Did they fail to tell us that, or did they not see that? Um, so I'm hoping that they didn't see that, and that's why we didn't hear it. I'm a little bit surprised if that's what they're pinning this snap miss on. Partially, yeah, we'll ask the CEO tomorrow. Snap CEO Evan Spiegel will be on CNBC tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time, so you won't want to miss that. Well, we are gearing up for Super Bowl weekend. The stakes couldn't be higher for the sports betting world. We'll talk about that and a lot more with the CEO of FanDuel. That's next. There's a reason why this NFL player decides to take his off seasons and go back to his alma mater just to teach a course on financial literacy. The lack in access to information has caused the racial wealth gap over centuries. It's time that we finally put an emphasis on financial education in our schools throughout the country, but specifically in black and brown communities. 
excellent message. That was New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland uh, here on the importance of financial literacy. And this is all part of CNBC's look at Black History Month all month long, honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Now, speaking of football, we are gearing up for Super Bowl weekend. Whether you're rooting for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs or Tom Brady and the Bucks, the real winner could be Sportsbooks. Joining us now is a FanDuel CEO, Matthew King. Matthew, great to see you. Thanks for having me on. You know, in so many other industries, they say, is it going to be the Super Bowl of whatever? But this is the Super Bowl. So is this, in fact, your biggest time of the year? This is the biggest time of the year. And it's not just the Super Bowl. It's all the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl um, is just really great for sports bettors. And we see incredible demand that, frankly, is unparalleled throughout the rest of the year. How do you think about demand um, when you take a look at the economic context in terms of um, consumers' wherewithal to bet, uh, the lack of stimulus right now, but also people being pent up at home with nothing better to do. Sure. We're seeing a lot of growth in demand year over year. A lot of that is less kind of macroeconomic driven and more driven by the fact that there's still a big illegal market for sports betting. And as the legal market expands across the country, we're effectively taking share from the illegal market. Um, And that's driving a lot of the growth, as well as people trying for the first time, because to your point, they're pent up at home and looking for new stuff to do. Matthew, it used to be the exotic bet was who's going to win the coin toss, you know, first touchdown, that type of thing. What, What are the new what are the new innovations on the betting front in terms of exotic bets and parlays and those types of things? So you got a couple things going on. One is we have hundreds of things you can bet on during both before the game and during the game. So one big innovation that we brought to the country is live betting. So much more um, uptime and many more options to actually bet throughout the game. The second thing we've done is actually created the first of its kind same game parlay product. So you can basically pair or add three, four or five different events all in the same game and create one single bet. So you may turn a $5 bet into $100 of return. Um, But more importantly, what it allows users to do is to pick the four or five things that they all think is going to happen and really kind of create a custom bet. So you almost have limitless options. And that's been something that more than half of our players are using now. Hey, it's uh, Brian Kelly. So I'm curious, you're saying this seems to be like the zenith of the sports betting time with stay at home, with legalization coming, with the Super Bowl. What do you do for the other quarters to keep either earnings smoothed out or where are the growth opportunities uh, outside of kind of this one hit wonder? Well, we have such strong tailwinds in the industry. I'm not worried about continuing to drive a lot of growth throughout the year. We have the broadest product portfolio of any of our competitors. So we operate fantasy sports, sports betting, online casino and horse racing. And so we have a calendar that naturally um, kind of plays out throughout the whole year. And then you also have new states like Virginia and Michigan that have just turned on for us and demand in those states has been through the roof. And so you'll see growth throughout the year, even though the Super Bowl probably the biggest single day event, um, at least until the next Super Bowl. Matthew, last quick question. Do you like SPACs? Are you thinking about a SPAC? <laughs> we're focused on building the, be- the biggest and the best business that we can. Um, and we're fortunate from the perspective of we have a relationship with Flutter globally that gives us all the resources we need to grow. So we're really happy with where we are. All right. So you'll stay with your parent for now. Uh, okay. That was a good answer. Matthew, thank you. Great to see you. <laughs> Matthew King, CEO of FanDuel.
I was going to ask you guys who, who you think is going to win. I don't know, Guy. You had an amazing, you had an amazing prediction the last time. If you recall, and you scoffed at me, I said I didn't uh, scoff. the Crimson no Tide of Alabama would win by a margin of 28 points against the Buckeyes of Ohio State. And if memory serves, that was the exact <laughs> yes, proper uh, dif- point differential. What I will <laughs> tell you, this is great for you, though, Mel, because in real time you can bet if Brady's going to go play action, all those things that you typically love to do without being able to put money on it when you're home watching games, now you can. I'm so happy for you. Uh, and your knowledge of football, now you can monetize that. Isn't I, that great? I, I can't wait to try all those uh, parlays um, that you can do. Tim, what do you think of DraftKings? Quickly. Uh, like DraftKings, really love the story, really love uh, FanDuel, love what they're doing. And again, notice that a lot of these guys that are combining content, creating engagement. Think about the, the partnership with, with uh, Barstool's. Uh, and and Penn Gaming. Um, think about Action Network as a place that marries a lot of this. I, I think, look, that's part of the, the story with sports betting is engagement. Yep, that's a lot of synergies there. Uh, time, time for the final trade, Tim. Yeah, we talked about J&J. This is not really a COVID-19 catalyst. This is, it's all about a pharma pipeline, though, that is growing faster than Pierce Medical Devices coming back. Uh, stay long, J&J. Karen. Yeah, think about where there's still value. FedEx, right here. BK. Uh, Peloton. Look through the supply chain issues. They'll get through it. Guy. Defense stocks back in vogue. LMT. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.